they were recording. Okay, um, as we get going here, put my somewhere around here is my clicker. Eventually, we'll find out where it is, and I'm going to feel really... Oh. <laughs> you put black on black. That's... Okay. Uh, I just thought uh, I would... Uh, I picked up a couple of pictures from around the country. Yeah, we're recording. Uh, just just to give you a, a flavor of people around the, the country. Here's in Australia. You have uh, an emergency... The good news is it's 174 kilometers ahead. That's that's helpful. Okay. Uh, Dominican Republic. Okay. You need to make a phone call, Mom. Okay. It's great stuff. Hello. I'm coming from my boat. <laughs> California. Okay. Fitness con uh, focus California. Yeah, it's good to have. <laughs> Something about this it just doesn't quite jive, does it? And if you're if you're just listening to the audio of this, you'll have to go to the PowerPoint to see what everybody's laughing at. And uh, of course, we need one from Texas, right? Only Texas. <laughs> Forget the truck. Let's get the cow. Uh, it's a bull wash. Yeah. All right. Enough, enough foolishness. Uh, if we let's turn for a second to um, DNC thirty. thing about uh, the Whitmer family is, is just how vital a role they played in this first generation of the church. And as, as they get specific information and they're working closely with, the, with Joseph, the Lord's going to give them some vital information that makes a big deal of difference, I think, to us. Uh, so let's start off by looking at, uh, look at verse 3. Who's got verse 3? Feels in fine voice. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Yeah, first three. Wherefore you are left to inquire for yourself at my hand, and ponder upon the things which you have received. Okay, now let's stop for a sec. How many of you have ever been in this place? You have been left to ponder for yourself 
Meaning that you're not getting what? Answers. I'm praying and there's no answers. And I'm praying and there's no answers. And I'm just not, I'm not getting any answers. And, and generally it's our, it's, it's human nature. If I'm not getting answers to prayers, where does our brain automatically go? There's something wrong with me. Past sins. Not praying right. Okay, where else might we go? He's not, God isn't hearing me. For whatever reason, He's not hearing me. Maybe something about me, maybe He's wanting to teach me patience, so He's teasing me. Okay? Now, in the case of David Whitmer, David, and this is specifically given to David Whitmer, uh, David got sucked up in his son, or in his uh, brother-in-law's, uh, Hiram Page's, uh, Drama about the seer stone that we talked about last week. And so David really believed in it. So he was really fast to throw Joseph under the bus. I'm going to follow Hiram instead. And he's going to be one of the last ones to give up the idea that maybe Hiram Page knows where Zion is, even though it hasn't yet been revealed to Joseph. And he's kind of being stubborn about the whole thing. So, so the Lord's going to give him a specific response, but this is where I think this is so beautifully universal. Uh, it's a little bit for Joseph, like, you know, standing in front of like a beautiful giraffe, and there's the giraffe, and you're looking at it, and it's like, I don't see it. La, 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 la. I did not want him to look. And it's right in front of you, and you go, look at the giraffe, and he goes, I just don't see it. Well, for David, there was some of this, it's a little bit obvious, Bill, and he's struggling. So for us, though, here's what we're going to look at and go, if we're not getting answers to prayers, we're about to get five reasons on our side of the fence why it is that we don't always get answers. And they come in this, they come in, in uh, verses 1 and 2. Okay? So let's take these one by one. Um, Behold, I say unto you, David. Here comes the first one. What's the first problem? Yeah, you have feared man, meaning what? Wonder about what everybody else is going to say. I'm going to worry about image and perception and all of that. Okay, even though I know what I need to do, I'm just more worried about what people will think of me instead of God. And Yeah, and I think I think we're going to get to that one, aren't we? No. So, yes. <laughs> that, that we're going to rely on that arm of flesh as, we're going to, as we've talked about before. The arm of flesh that we're most likely to rely on more than God is ours. It's our arm of flesh. I can do it rather than trust Him. Okay? So one of the reasons we don't get answers sometimes is you feared men. The second one is you haven't relied on me for Strength. You're still trying to do it yourself. And he's saying, let the Lord take over. Rely on His strength. Which, this is another one of those dumb moments. You know, giraffe is in front of you. Why wouldn't we really rely on God for strength? Wouldn't it? Any smarter? Any stronger? Any wiser? Any Him? Why would we not rely on Him for strength? 
Lack of faith. Somebody lack of faith in? Okay, but we can get we can get up here and bear testimony of the Savior all the time. I know the Savior. That's not faith. What is that? That's a testimony. Yes. Oh, we can have testimony but not faith in him. And we know anybody like that? Uh, Lucifer. Yeah. Pride. Uh, what about pride? Yeah, because I can control the situation a bit. Yeah, I want to do it my way. I got an agenda. Anything else would be messy. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think it takes more effort to rely on him than just to sometimes just do it ourselves. Do you know the worst part about this? It's the unknown. It is the great unknown. If you want, if you want to really abuse children really well, Introduce as much unknown to them as possible. You can beat a child every morning at 7 a.m. And they know it's coming. And they're ready for it. And they don't like it. But if you beat them intermittently so they don't know when the next beating is coming. Or mix in a little niceness along with the beating. It's the unknown. In fact, the worst thing you can do to a child is not beating, it's ignoring. The existential crisis, meaning I don't, I'm not sure, ignore them. I don't know that I even exist. That is far, beat me, just don't ignore me. Okay? A lot of wives in that same situation, you know, yell at me, just don't ignore me, kind of thing. Okay? So that it's the unknown from the Heavenly Father that says, He's going to bless me. i got to rely on His strength, but I also have to rely on His timetable. He's going to bless me. I don't know when. At least if I'm in control, I know when I'm making things happen. Okay? Yeah. Along with the pride is that you have to admit you're making things weak. Oh, I have to admit that I'm weak and I'm supposed to be strong. And if I rely on God, here's, here's that dumb logic. If I'm going to rely on God, then that means that I am weak and a failure. I can't do it. That's right. Which is very non-politically correct, right? Okay? So I have to rely on me for strength. What's the next problem if you're not getting it? So, so in other words, sometimes you fear man. You're not trusting me for strength. What's the next one? Your mind has been more on things of this earth than on me, on the ministry. We've talked about this, haven't we? The most powerful thing that, the, that Satan has going for Latter-day Saint families is to distract through busy. Just get you really, really, really busy. Get you involved in lots and lots of stuff. Just fill your, you know... Family, if you're going to have a son in soccer, and it's going to be like a championship soccer thing, how, how many points during the week will this championship... Teresa, how many times with a, with a soccer playing kid, how many times in a week are you going to have to touch soccer with practices and games? And lots. Lots and lots. It just, does it kind of take over? It does. Just consumes, right? And so, and, and now let's say that you've got one in soccer, and then this one's over here doing volleyball, and this one's doing baseball. 
Now what? Shoot yourself. Yes. <laughs> get, get a van with good gas mileage because you're going to spend all your time on the road involved in the things of this earth and not in the ministry. When I was at that stage in my life, I threatened to do it. I said, I'm going to leave it home. I'm going to sell it and we're going to buy a motorhome. Because <laughs> I'm always on the road. <laughs> now sometimes, by the way, the, the things of this earth is not just a matter of just being busy. Sometimes we're not getting answers because we're just so consumed by fear of things going on around us. Okay? doesn't matter whether it's politics or disasters or something. We just become involved. It's very easy for me because I kind of cling on to information. I can't tell you how many times during the day I will go to CNN, Fox, Drudge, stuff. I'm just Jerusalem Pulse. I'm just... But I'm, just, I'm soaking in information all the time, but I'm but when I'm doing that, I'm just completely focused with what's going on out there. And sometimes we get caught up in that. Okay? Um, what's the next one? Remember, there's five. Number four is? Ah, have not given heed unto my spirit and to those who over you. But my bishop is clueless. <laughs> Sometimes he's not really smart. He keeps calling the wrong people to the wrong positions. <laughs> and he left me in nursery forever. <laughs> I, I'm going to ring somebody's back. <laughs> and the Relief Society president is rude. And the elder's former president doesn't do his own teaching. <laughs> and we get caught up in all of these human foibles. And because of why, why would that interfere with our ability to get answers to prayer? Because he's probably sending the answers, possibly through these people, right? The spirit, and we're rejecting them, basically. Yeah, I think so. And so sometimes it may come from that irritating bishop who is the one that's actually telling us and we're not wanting to hear it because it's coming from him. Because I know that this kid has been mean to my kid, so why would I listen to him? Where are we going? It takes humility to listen to the Spirit and listen to the correct Yeah, we've got to get our place to our heart to a humble place, especially if it's, we're having to accept it from somebody that maybe we wouldn't necessarily want to accept it from. Okay? Ooh, that's a bummer. It would be nice if the, if the only advice and counsel we got were from leaders that we really loved and were really nice and were really perfect, but no, it's not working that way. Yeah. Sometimes we just don't have enough quiet in our lives to listen to the Spirit. Isn't that the truth? He said sometimes we just don't have enough quiet. You know, I'm always, I'm always impressed for instance, with, with young people who are going to pull in to get gas, and I'm, in, and I'm there at the gas station as well, and they love their music, and they think everybody at the gas station should love their music too. So while I'm out pumping the gas, I've got to turn the volume way up, so everybody else can hear the boom, 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 boom. And then I'm going to get out of my car, what am I going to do? Put my earbuds, and I'm just going to keep on. I just have to have it full all the way up and then they're going to go to sleep listening to their stuff. When do they have quiet? 
Now, fascinating, the Lord would say, and my voice is a still small voice, and we're also doing thump, thump, thump. And we have to be told to do that. <laughs> it's the fascinating part. Because we don't. We're so filled with everything. I know my tendency sometimes when I'm it come is like turn on the TV or something so there's there's some I'm just used to having kind of a noise level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, for me I, sometimes I'll if we go to the park with my kids sometimes I'm like, bring my book. Yeah. If I'm a friend <laughs> as well. I'm going to bring a book and I'm going to read like book club book or whatever and I'll be reading and all of a sudden I'll be like, my kids are like freaking out and I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, I know they've probably been talking to me for a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mom, 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 mom. Yeah, so, you know, what we could do with like the TV or whatever. I mean, someone can walk in front of you in the TV and you won't even see them. Yeah. Because you're so into what we're into. We just don't. And then we're saying, and then and at the same time then we're saying, you know, I just don't get anxious to pray very often. I just, the Lord doesn't talk to me very often. And he's probably in there going, hello, hello, hello. I'd like to tell you. Okay, so there, there's four. Now we have the fifth one, which is? Yeah. I've been persuaded by those, David, Whitmer. I've been persuaded by those that I have not. Voices that are not of me. Now, sometimes, I, I will say this from a prayer standpoint, that we really have a tendency sometimes in the church to question our own ability to get spiritual answers because we've heard how everybody else in the world gets spiritual answers. And if they hear voices, we should hear voices. If, if they feel heartburn, I should feel heartburn. If they get a stupor, I should get a stupor. You know, if 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 they are if they're digging up in the middle of the night running across town to go see somebody, I should be doing that. That's their particular gift, and we have a tendency to compare our gifts to their gifts, rather than saying this is how the Spirit speaks to me. Yeah. Um, I have to share with you that it, it kind of works the other way around too, because I, when I was young, received a very strong witness of the Book of Mormon. I assumed my children would do the same in the same way. And it didn't happen. Yeah. They, it, it had to be different from them. And I didn't get that. I didn't get that they may have to work a little harder for it. So you have to be careful. I think that's exactly, you're right. From the other side of the fence. Perfect, perfect. Because sometimes what that means then, especially, and we've talked about this a little bit, I think, in the past, with kids. It's so critical that we be able to say to them when they're having when they're having a struggle. Struggle means up chance for them to be able to learn uh, about prayer and revelation and all that. Okay, that's what that's what troubles in their life mean. Oh, it's another opportunity. Great. So so when they're going to do it, it's our chance to be able to sit with them and say, "What are you going to do? I'm going to pray about it. We prayed about it. What did it feel like? What did you experience?" What did you know? Was it in your heart? Was it in your head? How did you, what was that like? And be able to put our own experiences aside and recognize that their spiritual machinery is different than mine. So that means I have to find out and teach them 
how do we find out what your spiritual uh, capacity and methodology is? Does that make sense? And they then have to know, and by the way, you know what, as a mom, I always get it when I'm driving. That's when I get, because I'm always on the road, because you guys are doing first. I get answers then, but it sounds to me like you get answers when you're on your knees. Or it sounds to me like you hear things in general conference, and that's a moment that you know, that's cool. And just kind of teach people about what their spiritual proclivities are. Does that make sense? So I have a perfect, yeah. Yeah, and they get quiet times and they get away from all the media. We're on the trek and, and I decided I wanted to get some pictures of these guys and so whoosh, I pull out my iPhone to take a couple of pictures and they're like, phone. <laughs> we forgot what those look like. Okay. Alright, so, so let's now, let's hop over to our next one because we're gonna. We have like like three little mini lessons, um, and the next one I want to talk about is we go to section thirty-one of the Doctrine and Covenants, and I, I shared some of this in the uh, Plano Eighth Ward uh, yesterday. Uh, but but let, let's start off with Thomas B. Marsh. Who was Thomas B. Marsh? Apostle. He was the first president of the Quorum of the Twelve in the early days of the church. Okay? Uh, his story is kind of interesting. Uh, Brother Marsh is well respected. He lives in Massachusetts. Uh, he's trying to plug into a number of different churches. They're just not fitting for it. And almost like Harley Pratt. Harley Pratt will do the same thing. He just feels that the, the, the answer is out there somewhere. And so he's just going to go travel. And he did, again, what Harley did, was he got on the Erie Canal. And he's just going to ride the Erie Canal. And he's in search of kind of a spiritual connection. The answer's out there. I'm going to know when I see it. And he gets off in Palmyra. <laughs> You know, in 1830, in the first, in like February, March time frame, okay? He's going to get out, and he's going to walk around, and he's finding out there's a church on the, Palmyra has a church on four corners kind of thing. It's like a churchy kind of place. But by the way, there is, you know, th there is a gold Bible being printed at the Grandin place down there. Kind of weird. We think it's kind of stupid that this, you know, kid says he saw an angel there's this book being printed. So he makes his way over to the Grandin Press. And, and uh, E.D. Grandin is like, well, I have these first 16 pages of proof that have been signed off by David Whitmer and, and, and uh, Hiram Smith, and I keep it under lock and key at night, and they bring it in during the day, and they watch it very carefully. Martin Harris was also there. And Thomas Marsh is just like, wow, this is really cool. And, and uh, Martin Harris said, do you want to borrow these for a couple of days and read them? <laughs> this is after they've been under lock and key. And he's going, 
you know, I feel impressive. Be okay if you reach. In fact, why don't you bring him so we can kind of keep an eye on him? Why don't you bring him back to the Smith house and kind of stay with the Smiths a couple of? And Hiram's like, yeah, come on down. So he actually spends two days at the Smith household reading the first 16 pages of the proof for the Book of Mormon. And at the end of that, it's like, this is fantastic. This is really true. And they then got enough of his spirit, his testimony, believe it or not, I don't know if Joseph would have done this, to say, why don't you take this home to your wife? And he then takes the 16 pages back to Massachusetts with him to show to his wife. Incredible risk. But by then they knew that he had a testimony. Uh, now, uh, I, in, uh, when I was speaking in the eighth ward yesterday, I shared the, shared the story that it's, it's not that long ago, there was a, a BYU professor that uh, was sent out to one of the uh, countries in Africa where the church is not yet there. And, but he had a chance to meet with some Latter-day Saints youth. And he had a whole room full of Latter-day Saint youth in this African country. And he says to them, how many of you know the Book of Mormon is true? Every hand. We know it's true. No question. He says, how many of you have read the Book of Mormon? Not a hand goes up. He says, well, of course you can't. It hasn't been translated yet into your language. How did you do it? And they said, well, we have some handwritten pages that have been copied from the Book of Mormon into our... He's got a few pages. And he says, you know that's true? And then he asked the question, how can you know the Book of Mormon is true if you haven't read it? Little sister goes, brother, you don't have to know the... You don't have to eat the entire cake to know that it's good. Sometimes a slice will do And she was right. Sometimes a slice, sometimes a quote, sometimes... And by the way, when we're in the process of sharing the gospel with others, sometimes just a verse or a story or something might light a fire that says this is coming from an inspired source. That's what he did with these 16 pages. Based on that, he will. his wife will be converted, and then they will make their way to uh, New York, but then they've got to kind of keep going, because by then we're starting to gather in Kirkland. Now, here's the problem, and it exists not just for the marshes, but it exists for a lot of you as well. The rest of the family wasn't thrilled. You're doing what? Yeah, I got on a boat, I got off the you know, gold plate thing, and here's the 16 pages, and, and I, yeah, I'm throwing off the Bible and Methodism, and I'm just... Uh, and we're moving to be with these other Josephites. And the kids weren't thrilled either. In fact, the family was very antagonistic to the to Marsh joining the church. Which, by the way, no one of you have ever had that experience of either having family members that just was like, well, that's your religion, especially when they're your own kids. And we have these experiences that just break our hearts. Well, listen to the specific directions that are given to Brother Marsh. Who's got Who's got one and two? Okay. One and two. Uh huh. Yeah. Sorry. 
Okay, stop. Wouldn't that be a great way to stop, start? Because obviously he shows up in town and he goes, Joseph, we just gave up a lot. My position, my family, I'm here. Could we, can I just possibly get a revelation from the Lord? He says, yeah. And the first words out of Joseph's mouth as he begins to copy the revelation is, Thomas, my son. Two beautiful truths. Number one, I know your name. I know who you are. Number two, I am your father. You are my son. Thomas, my son. Talking about family relationships. Okay? Let's keep going. Thomas, my son. Thomas, my son. Blessed are you because of your faith in my work. Okay, now here, because of the faith. Now, here, this is almost going to sound a little bit, verse 2 is almost a little bit like a patriarchal blessing. Behold, you have had many afflictions because of your family. Nevertheless, I will bless you and your family, yea, your little ones, and the day cometh that they will believe and know the truth and be one with you in my church. To a struggling parent, what if we were able to say uh, to you, as you're watching your kids weird out, <laughs> I will bless you and your family, your little ones, the day cometh they will believe and know the truth and be one with you in my church. Yes, it did. They did join. So were these teenage kids? Uh, I'm not sure how old the, the family was. Uh, Brother Mark was a little bit older when he joined the church. But how, for how many of you are still waiting? For kids, for sisters, for parents to actually finally catch on to this. And you're still in pain. Okay, now if we... Let me share with you a quote from, from Brigham Young. Let the father and mother who are members of this church and kingdom take a righteous course and strive with all their might never to do a wrong but to do good all their lives. Doesn't mean you've got to be perfect, but he says that's what we're striving for, okay? If they have one child or 100 children, If they conduct themselves towards them as they should, binding them to the Lord by their faith and prayers, I care not where those children go. They are bound up to their parents by an everlasting tie, and no power on earth or hell can separate them from their parents. In eternity they will return again to the fountain from whence they sprang. Brigham make his promise. 
basically totally, totally inactive. And she died a few weeks ago at 89. And about two weeks before she passed away, she had cancer. She asked her grandson if he would come and give her a blessing. And her daughter called me. She said, why did my mom do that? And her daughter was never baptized. And I said, it's because she was trained that way as a child. Right. And she came back to it knowing that she needed that help. And I thought that was such a testimony of how we may not, you know, have that with our children, but eventually they see that there was something there. Had an interesting experience yesterday. Um, there, we have a... Uh, what, a th city 13, 12, 13 year old Sunday school class that we were in? Uh, yeah. Yeah, about that. So they're deacons. And the uh, teacher called me up, uh, texted me on Saturday night. He says, could you come in for a few minutes to my Sunday school class? My kids have a question. And I, and I thought, well, what kind of question? They want to know about the cursing of the Lamanites and why it is that it was then put on the children as well who didn't do anything to deserve it. And it wasn't him. And, and, and so why did they get the cursing? No, I just said, and they said it's not fair. And it's not fair. <laughs> I thought, what a great question coming from a group of 13-year-olds. Wow, penetrating. Awesome. And, and Cindy and I went in there... Uh, Yesterday during Sunday school, and it was just like six pairs of eyes. Just they wanted to know what good kids with a wonderful question. And and uh, I thought, let, let me answer the question with the lesson that kind of ought to be there. And and we talked about the fact that. Uh, they were cursed because of the lies that their fathers told. And it wasn't fair that it should pass along to them. But then we went to Alma uh, uh, 23 and talked about the fact that the cursing was taken from the anti-Nephi Lehi's as they accepted the gospel. But then I said, let me ask you, if somebody is an alcoholic, do they curse their kids? <coughs> Oh, yeah. For generations. And is it because of... And why? And they said, well, family things. And one little gal said, well, I think it's genetics, too. And I said, yeah, exactly. There are genetics that come into play. There are the, the societal thing that's there, the environment that they're living in. They are cursed for generations afterwards. Is that fair? No. But the wonderful thing about the resurrection and the atonement is the fact, and we talked about it in Alma 41, the doctrine of restoration, that that body is placed in the grave, and there in that moment, they have a chance in the spirit world to be stripped from all of the false traditions, all the things genetically, to now see the gospel for the first time. And the cursing can then fall away. I'm sure, I mean, how many times have any of us said, Oh, I don't know where I would be without the gospel. Yeah. I'll look around. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and on top of that, though, look at what happens, though, then with those of you, and I, and I know who some of you are, who had really cruddy growing ups. And a lot of stuff going on. And it's like the cursing was following to you, and then what happened? 
something about you and your spirit said, no, it does not pass to my kid anymore. And I will do things differently, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that this garbage in the past does not pass to the future to my children. It stops with me. No more. When that spirit can come, the cursing stops with you. No more. And my kids will know different than I did. When that knowledge comes, you can change that literally, and the cursing will be re removed. It sounds like another term would be the perspective. Saying this cursing, those children oftentimes grow up with the filter through which their parents see things. That perspective affects them and affects them unless they say, no, um, this is going to no. be different. To think about it also in terms of the fact how many people say, you know what, I don't believe in this Mormon stuff. I'm going to stop believing. And then how many children are cursed generations later because they were going to be smarter than the average bear and not buy into this Mormon stuff? Okay, that, that one your discussion about all the kids getting... Uh-huh. Okay. <clears throat> Through proxy work in the temples, everyone is going to be able to have their work done for them and be sealed. And through the proxy work, they'll all have that option as to whether or not I'm going to accept it. Sure. Does that promise apply to all them as well? And if so, why is there going to be a help? Ah, oh, good question. If that's true, and then why is there a hell? And that's why we were talking, I think, was it last week? That hell has an exit. And that hell has a purpose. And that is that sometimes for those, even through false traditions, we still, there still is a payment of, sometimes that we've done willfully, sometimes because of tradition, and if we're going to, so sometimes that hell is in our mind in terms of cleansing what, what needs to be done. So then will all of God's children eventually be exalted? No. 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 No, because some will choose just by their, by who they are, to choose, this is enough light for me, I'm comfortable with this, I'm happy in this sphere. Uh, I believe that there's something about the binding and bonding of sealing things that, that says it's going to reach out and ennoble those that are going to accept the gospel. Now, how that exact where that line is drawn, boy, that's a really good question. Yeah? I'm going to regress this a little bit that you're talking about the mercy. Regressing is a problem that uh, <laughs> um, it works the other way around. You know, you talked about how if they're if they go away from the church. Yeah. How their, their posterity is affected. It, it also works for the good the other way around. You have somebody who comes into the church and they change their life and it affects their posterity for many, many generations to, oh, isn't that the, truth? to the positive. Yeah. In other words, and in some cases we stop the cursing from it stops here. In some cases we start the exaltation process here, and then we're going to go back in the temple and, and reclaim those. Uh, and, and again, we're going to find out that some spirits from the pre-existent on, a third said, we don't even want to hang around for this in the first place. We want to, we want an easier road. Why? I don't know. Less intelligence? That's a good question. Yeah, probably. Well, we're also probably not born in two circumstances based on what we were in the spirit world. So 
Yeah. Are you blessed as a result of being in a having the gospel in your life? Is that not talk about not fair? What about all the people that didn't? You know, they're a bushman out in Africa, and they're never going to have a chance in this. That's not fair, is it? Unless it's predicated on the fact that we are who we are, and that we are we have eons before we ever arrived here, where we grew and developed, and the Lord said. Sister Casper, I know that if I bring you the gospel, you'll teach it to your kids. And I can put you in that position. I know you'll do that. I have a problem with that. <laughs> you what? I have a problem with that. You're regressing again? No, I'm, I'm just have a problem. Okay. <laughs> and the problem is this. If we say where we were born is predicated upon how faithful we were in pre-existence, then... All those who were not members of the church were somehow uh, less valued in the pre-existence. Right, yeah. And right. the reason I have a problem with that, I have a BYU professor who that was his his philosophy, that all members of the church were valued, all non-members were, were not valued. Were yeah, not don't, let's not go there. And, and so I have a problem with that because we know that people continually join the church today. Yep. That they weren't... Yep. Um, you know, they, they, their patriarchal blessings said they weren't bad in yep. pre-existence. Right. Right. They were valiant. And, and yeah. so to say that all non-members yeah. are not valiant, I think, is a bad thing. I, I agree with this. And that's why when we talk about our valiancy in the pre let's not then make it good, bad, right, or wrong, us good, everybody else is bad. I couldn't agree with that more, Tim. Yeah. I think, though, that we are born in a family. You know, I was born into a family with a lot of problems. I did have but I think we're still born in families that give us the world. Yep. Now that I'm older, I can see that was, was exactly what I needed. Yep. Yeah, and that doesn't mean because the gospel comes late. In fact, hang on to that for a second. So we're about to talk about Sidney Rigdon. And Sidney Rigdon is a perfect example of how many good people. Sidney Rigdon had the spirit of uh, Elias, and he wasn't even a member yet. I think so. If we're going to be responsible to that, so let's 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 move on here. Great, great comments, by the way. Uh, let me let me give you one last quote on this, and then we'll move on. From Brother Millet. There seems to be in sermons and the writings of the prophets the quiet but soul-satisfying message that the alms of the prayers of the righteous do come into the ears of the Lord. That righteous parents' loyalty to their covenants will not be overlooked and that no amount of suffering of the faithful in behalf of their posterity will be for naught. And that there is power, remarkable power in the covenant to save those who will be saved. Those who choose to be saved, I think. As Elder Packer suggested, it may be that the power of evil in these last days is so oppressive that it chokes or restrains the proper exercise of agency. One day, that will change. I just think we're going to be amazed when we look at the whole mosaic of things. And I think that makes it possible when we struggle and we watch. One of, one of the great uh, uh, pains of my life is the fact that as a, as a young deacon's corps advisor I had, uh, eight deacons 
two of which are active today, the rest are not. And that, that's hard for when I think about that and, and who I lost. And I count on the gospel and their parents see me to one day. Huh? I don't want to beat this idea up, but a third of the host of heaven did not get a From the get-go. Based on the yep. pre-mortal existence. And, so there is something to And, and that third... Pre-mortal existence. Absolutely. I'm sorry, prophets teach it if it is. And they're standing in their light and they're still choosing no. That's right. Uh, you know? And I don't think it's a matter of being not valiant and valiant. Because yes. everyone on earth was somewhat valiant. Mm-hmm. Or we wouldn't right, be here. Yeah, we wouldn't be here. But there are different levels. And you, were, you did come with that when you came to the church. Yep. I, I, I wasn't Moses. Not that <laughs> I wanted to be. <laughs> you, you needed to be taller with a big beard. <laughs> See, Moses is always going to be Charlton Heston for me. And sorry, Bob, you're just not. <laughs> Neither am I, by the way. Uh, okay, hold on. Let, 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 we need to, we need to hop on. Otherwise, we're not. You, you guys, you guys are so great. Okay, Party Pratt. Um, let, let, let me just mention, Party Pratt has the same experience. Party will. Uh, he does the same thing as Thomas March. He will. He is in uh, Ohio. He's been hanging out with this Sydney Rigdon guy. Uh, he decides there's something better for him. He hops on the canal, gets off in Palmyra, gets out, gets really Hiram or Joseph's down in Harmony, gets us all excited about the gospel. Uh, he's going to come back and tell his brother Orson. Uh, and Harley Pratt just spent the rest of his life on the mission. Holy Mac! He, had, he never got to rest. He was the, the original wandering Jew. That guy. You know, you read his book, and it's just like to the day he died. Uh, to the point, anybody know where he's buried? Arkansas. Yeah, he was on another mission. Um, okay. So to Parley Pratt, here, here's going to come his direction. Uh, DNC 32. So he wants the same thing. Give me some information. The Lord says, That which I have appointed uh, unto uh, Parley is that he shall go with my servants, Oliver Cowdery. He's going to start serving his missions right out of the chute. And Peter Whitmer, into the wilderness among the Lamanites, and nothing shall prevail against them. Okay? Now, all right, let's stop for a second. This is kind of an audacious thing that's about to happen. We are in, we're in upstate New York. Do you remember what Hiram Page, what his deal was, what it is that he was having revelations about that screwed everything up? What did Hiram Page and the other brethren want to know? Where's Zion? We've been reading in Ether 13, and it's telling us that there will be a Zion, and it will be built on this continent, and they started to get revelations about the fact that Zion would be built on this continent. And, the, and what they wanted to know was, cool, where is it? Now, that's one thing they wanted to know. But it's also interesting to note, and this is, this is my speculation a little bit, if you read the Book of Mormon, what has to happen before that new Jerusalem gets built? What has to happen on this continent? Who has to be converted? The Lamanites. 
Why? Because what are the Lamanites tasked to do? Build a Jerusalem, right? So I'm, I'm thinking, yes. We'll have a discussion about that one of these days. It's in the Book of Mormon. By the way, that, what that really means is that we're going to be assisting them and helping, but it says that they'll, they'll be instrumental in building up New Jerusalem. Okay? Now, so if you're reading the Book of Mormon and you're going, first of all, there's Zion. Second of all, Zion, for Zion to happen, the Lamanites have got to be converted. So if you're a millennialist, this group was about the millennium, about the second coming, What's the next thing that they would get really excited about? We've got to convert the Lamanites. Got to go get them. Because it's a little bit like all the Christian group. Do you know who the number one funding group is for uh, getting Jews, helping Jews get back and perform a liar to return to Israel and go back to Israel and live for wherever they're living? Who's funding all of that? Christian groups. How come Christian groups are wanting Jews to be in Jerusalem? To hasten the second coming. <coughs> we want you there. We know it's got to happen. If we can pay for it, get you, we'll raise money. Our church will raise money. You guys want to move back to Jerusalem? Yeah, absolutely. So this was part of the, I think this was part of that deal that says, we've got to get the Lamanites. We get the Lamanites to get going and get converted, then they can assist in helping build the new Jerusalem, therefore it's going to get built and the second coming comes. Does that make sense? So the first thing, so, so they're all excited about it, and so the Lord's going to give them, as He's given in Parley, in, in section 32, He says, I'm going to send you on a mission where? And where are the Lamanites? Well, they're out there, right? We're talking about Kansas City. And they're in upstate New York. That's a long way. And I'm going to send four guys. Go convert the Lamanites. That seems like a bit of a stretch. Doesn't it? The only bigger stretch I know is when they're sitting in Kirtland in abject poverty and Joseph turns to Heber C. Kimball and goes, you're supposed to go on a mission to England. Well, we have no money and my family's starving. I know. Lord told me go to you're supposed to go to Okay. I'm out of here. So this is a big deal. Now, here's the question. This says in verse 3, and nothing shall prevail against them. We're going to send four guys across the country to the Lamanites. They're going to get about two visits with the Lamanites, and then the Indian agents will run them out of Dodge. Didn't, didn't baptize, convert a single Lamanite. Kind of a really bad failure thing. But the Lord says they will prevail. Did this, was this mission successful? This mission doubled the church. Doubled the size of the church. But it wasn't to the Lamanites. It was to... Yeah, they're going down through Ohio and Parley goes, Hey, I know a guy. And he's one of the three founders of the Campbellite Church. We had to go visit him. So they pop in on Sidney Rigdon. Hey, Parley, good see. Hey, here's a Book of Mormon. What is that? 
This is a revelation from God. You want to join? And, and, and the conversation with Sidney Reagan, and I won't, I won't take time to go through it, it's hilarious. He basically says, I'm just not inclined to do that, but I will, I will read it and see if it adds to my faith. I'll just read it and see if it adds to my faith. By the way, if you guys want to preach on Sunday, great. Why don't you preach? Okay? Sidney Reagan reads this and goes, oh my gosh. Revelation time. Okay? Now, in the, the, that, this group, and they call themselves the Brethren, especially those around Menden, uh, were trying to live a united order. And uh, by the way, one of his first lieutenants, uh, senior under pastor thing, Edward Partridge. Okay, and you got all of these wonderful people there that are in and around Ohio. And they're, and they're trying to live all things in common. And they start preaching, and inside three weeks, they double the size of the church. Baptisms come in the thousands. In and around Ohio. Not a thousand. Not a thousand. Ultimately, there would be. But within, but within three weeks, they get about the first uh, 150 to 200. Yeah. Yeah, 127. You got it. Isn't that cool? And they were just coming in in droves. And, but, but by the way, this isn't our mission. We're supposed to be with the Lamanites. Now, here's my question. Why didn't the Lord... Say to Parley and Oliver Calvary, go on a mission to Ohio, go talk to Sidney Rigdon, don't worry about the Lamanites for a while. Wouldn't that have been much more better? Because that's what they wanted. Yes. There is a key here to said. prayer. What, what she said, what did they want? Convert the Lamanites. What did the Lord want? Get to Ohio. Because I know that, by the way, they're there. I know the strength and power that's about to come into the church. It's going to be the gathering place. We're going to put the temple there. But rather than, rather than try and fight their tendency, is, which is, Oh my gosh, the second is coming. We're going to find Zion. We're going to find the Lamanites. That's where we want to go. We're, we're, we're all excited about that. He says, Go to the Lamanites. Because I know you well in that part. Party that one of the first places you'll stop is Sydney, and I've been preparing Sydney for a long time. It'll happen. I'm just going to go with your drive because if I if, if I try to fight that drive, we just have to kind of work this out of your system. I think. <laughs> uh, something that I love about that story is it's the same with us. Somebody yeah. wants us to choose, and he'll let us choose. Right. But then he'll use it to his advantage. Okay, but here's the, that's right. That's where we're supposed to be. Okay, but and listen, listen very very closely. This is key. If they had been not so driven to have to go get to the Lamanites, if they had simply said to the Lord, where do you want us to go? It's my belief the Lord would have said, go to Kirkland. I've prepared people there. If they had done that, I believe they would have spared themselves a trip <laughs> to the Lamanites and back. And I think that's part of what happens sometimes in our prayers. When we are so high-centered on what we want, and we're going to be and we're trying to get answers and confirmations about what I want, the Lord may say to you, fine, take go. 
Because along the way, I'm going to lead you where you need to be that fulfills the purpose. But sometimes when we're so anxious to have our agenda filled, it may be that we have to expend a lot of extra energy that we might not have done that if we had just simply said to the Lord, I just want with you. I'm not going to get away from my agendas. I just want what you want. And we are the beneficiaries of that lesson. Are you? Yes, we are. All of us. Oh, all of us, yeah. Yeah, they learned it. Look what Kirtland was. So I guess all I'm saying to you, I think it's another reminder. We're talking about revelation. The ability to say, you know what? Let me get off my hobby horses. Let me just listen to what he wants me to do. And nowadays we don't choose where we want to go on a mission. I would have never, I didn't even know where Monokai Venezuela was. Everyone left my house after I opened it up. I was like, oh, I gotta go look online. I don't have any idea where this place. I didn't know it existed. Lord knows what he's doing. Okay. Finally, Cindy Rigdon. Uh, but by the way, can I just, can I just mention, uh, along with, uh, and, and sorry, I think we've, we've made, no, maybe. Um, there's a letter, Truman Madsen talked about this. They found a letter in, in, uh, in church uh, archives. A letter from Parley Pratt to Orson Pratt. Parley said, Orson, Brother Joseph said that all of us share a common ancestor. Uh, the Smiths and the, and the Pratt's share a common ancestor a couple of generations back. I haven't been able to find out who that is. Maybe you can. They never could find it. Turn of the century, Archibald F. Bennett, a uh, prominent genealogist, forged the link. Uh, and found uh, that there was a common ancestor of the Smiths and the Youngs and the Pratt's and the Whitmers and the Taylors. The first generation of the church all had the same common ancestor. And his name was? John Lathrop or John Lothrop? Depending on how you want to pronounce it. Okay? Now, of course, in my own genealogy, I can say, wait a minute, did Hinkley's built it? Yeah. Married into the, into the Lothrop line, second generation, after they got to Massachusetts, which was okay to there. But it's interesting that the Lord was preparing this whole generation. So, so that's why it is in, in the early days of the church, suddenly, here come the Pratt's and here come the Whitmer's. And here come uh, all of these guys, and they just seem to be so responsive to the church right out of the shoot, and that's what happened in Kirkland. Okay? Sidney Reagan is one of those that, working with the uh, uh, founding, all these things, he was ready. He was a very prominent, popular, well known teacher. And when, if, if, if Sidney Reagan is going to say, I'm into the church, here they come. And they did. And whole congregations joined following uh, him. Okay? Now, the time we got remaining. Let's look at uh, section 35.
And Tim, we're about to come back around to something you were just saying. Well, first of all, verse 2. Uh, Sydney, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was crucified for the sins of the world. As many will believe on my name, that they may become the sons of God. Aren't we already the sons of God? Sons and daughters of God? What do you mean that they may become? Yeah. When we are converted to the gospel, look at King Benjamin's address. He talks about that we then are given that name of the name of Christ. And even though that we were spiritually the sons of God, today you are begotten by Him. You become the sons and daughters of Christ. And isn't there like a servant level, a prime level, and a son of God? Yeah, there is. So she's saying there's a servant level, and then once we get past the servant level, then we're going to be able to, to become heirs. The goal is to then become sons and daughters of Christ. Good example. Okay? Now, verse 3. Behold, I say unto my servant Sidney, um, I have looked upon thee and thy works. Can I say one other thing about Sidney in in the time? Um, We have a tendency, I believe, to look at Sidney and and and, and dismiss some of the great things that he did because we look at, at the apostasy that happened later on in life and paint him with that brush. We have the same thing. So we do sometimes the same thing with Thomas Marsh. Um, it's my belief, I guess from my profession standpoint, that there is that moment in Kirkland uh, when they decided they've had enough of Joseph and his preaching. And you remember they break into Joseph's house in the middle of the night and they drag him out of, of the house uh, and and they beat him and tar and feather him and you, you remember that story in the back of the John Johnson farm out in the in the, in the frozen cane breaks out there for a cold night. Uh, Joseph in his description of that night will talk about the fact that in the middle of of his beating um, he looks over kind of between the legs of the people beating on him, and he can see that they've done the same thing to Sidney is just a short distance away from him, also being beaten by a group. The difference between Joseph and Sidney was that Joseph uh, had a stronger constitution and stayed away. Uh, Sidney was was beaten unconscious. And in my own amateur historian kind of thing, as I've watched... Sydney after that point he was never quite the same. He was so, quite a bit older too. And he was older. He just didn't have that, that ability to handle that kind of trauma. That's why I've always wondered if Sydney had maybe some kind of brain damage or something as a result of that. But it, it seemed to change him. He just was not the same guy afterwards. So I've always wanted to kind of give him the, the benefit of the doubt of that. Um, okay. Verse 3, I say unto my servant Sidney, I have looked upon thee in thy works, I have heard thy prayers, and prepared thee for a greater work. He's already preaching, he's already popular, he's already a wonderful uh, bringer of people to Christ. Thou art blessed, verse 4, for thou shalt do great things. Behold, now listen closely, thou wast sent forth even as... John, meaning John the Baptist, 
who functioned as an Elias. He was the it was the preparation, even as John to prepare the way before me and before Elijah, which should come and what thou knewest it not. Now, if you look at what happens with the moving of the gospel going forward, how many people are there out there who act in the role of Elias's? who are preparing the way for the gospel of Jesus Christ and they know it not. So now, Tim, we go back to if we're going to simply say those who are in the church are righteous in the pre-existence and those outside the church are not, we're going to miss it by quite a ways. How many people do, do you know in other churches who live every day of their life focused on becoming as close to Christ as possible, being as Christ-like as they can, who are going to serve with all of their hearts. And you say, well, they're not members of the church. But look at their lives. And they are preparing people, and I think their preparation acts the same way that Sidney Rickton's does. When they're going to hear the gospel, whether it's in this life or the next, it becomes easier to accept the gospel because they knew these wonderful people in this life. I put Billy Graham in that category. Uh, I put a number of wonderful preachers out there who were involved in the work of Christ. Yeah. And also I think there are some people like that man uh, Jonathan, the guy that helped Joseph Smith, what was his name? Jonathan, when I find out. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, Alexander Jonathan yeah. at uh, Far West. Yeah. I, I think people like that, they don't join the church because I think the Lord, if they were members of the church, they couldn't be the instrument they needed to help the church. Yep. So yeah. I Is anybody, that, anybody, a few years ago we had a, we had a fireside with a non member in this state by the name. Everybody here for the fireside with Jan Ships? Okay. Was that cool? We had, we had, we had a fireside with the Methodists in our chapel. The thing about her is that she can be a spokesman to people outside the church. Yeah. Professor of Religion at the University of Indiana. And so they can go mm -hmm. to her for opinion. She was very uh, interviewed a great deal during the Olympics about the church and the position the church takes. And so the world respects her and her opinion about yeah. she she did a lot of her work um, educationally studying the Mormons and uh, I think she spent time living in Ogden or sometime in Utah. So she she learned, you know, being among the population of LDS people, but then she also academically studied the history of the church. So she is a spokesman, and she defends the church and the doctrines. And, Beautiful. And she is very much uh, respected, but if she were from BYU, it probably would mean the same thing. And she said that. You know, she teaches gospel doctrine in her Methodist church. <laughs> but she says, I'm, I'm, kind, I'm, I'm an unofficial Mormon. Because I understand, I get it. Uh, her research is really good. It's very, very balanced and, and wonderfully done. Janship would has done us a much greater benefit by not being a member than she has been by tradition. She would have been as a member. And I believe that the Lord put her there to be who she is. Because she's had a great, great, great softening effect 
When the revelation of blacks and priesthood came, she was magnificent in explaining what it was that was going on. Okay? And there are people out there that way. All right. Last one, and then we're done. We'll go out and see what the weather's up to. Because I just want to finish with this. And, and I love this because here is this moment. Again, we look at ourselves and we look at our contributions to the church, to our family. We know our foibles. You know, again, I always talk about the fact that you, you drive in cars of screaming kids to sacrament meeting and then you look around at other people in sacrament meeting they seem to be having a better time than you are. You know, and you're just like, I will never be them. And I can't do it. And I, can't, I don't know why the Lord would call me to this stuff. Listen, listen to this. And I, I just think this is, this is just... And if you want, a, you want a great scripture for youth, this is a great scripture for youth. Wherefore, verse 13, I call upon the weak things of the world. Meaning who? Us. <laughs> Those who are unlearned and despised. We're still not quite sure we want to vote for that Mitt Romney. He has, he's kind of a weird religion thing. I don't know. And they're not even about his policies. It's just because he's that Mormon thing. And it's, you know, it's kind of kooky. Kind of weird. Who are unlearned and despised to do what? Thrash the nation's how? By the power of my spirit, not yours. I'm going to call on the weak things of the world to thrash the nations by the power of my spirit. Now, how does that work? He's going to tell you exactly how that works. And their arm shall be my arm. And I will be their shield and their buckler. And I will gird up their loins. And then I love this line. And so if you've done this, if you've done this, if you've allowed Him to become your shield and your armor and your protection and your sword, now what happens? And I love, and, he, and He's saying it to these, to these brethren assembled and He says to them, And they shall fight manfully. For me. And their enemy shall be under their feet, and I will let fall the sword in their behalf, and by the fire of my indignation I will preserve them, and the poor and the meek shall have the gospel preached unto them. He has always taken the weak things of the world, and then he's going to remind this great preacher. 17, and I have sent forth the fullness of my gospel by the hand of my servant Joseph, and in weakness, Sydney, I have blessed him. You're a great preacher. People love you. They love to listen to your sermons. You can go forever. And this unlearned, raw schoolboy is showing up on your doorstep, and he's the prophet. 
And I acknowledge that he's weak. And I acknowledge that his preachings at this point in time aren't real great. And his grammar is bad. And he's kind of raw. But in his weakness I have blessed him. And it was through this weak boy that I will bring the fullness of the gospel to the world. And Sidney, he will fight manfully for me. And Sidney, so will you. If you will let me be your armor. And let me be your sword and your buckler and your shield. Now, I just think that, that ought to, there shouldn't be one of us that it shouldn't touch our hearts somewhere that says, as far as the world is concerned, Mormons are just a little bit strange. Mormon women are a little bit oppressed. You keep having kids, and you keep, you know, you just don't understand what getting all the good stuff of the world is about. Don't you get it? You're in an oppressive, patriarchal society where 80 and 90 year old guys are telling you how many earrings you can wear. Isn't that goofy? Why would you do that? You seem to be kind of smart. Why would you be dumb sheeple? And he says, you will be the weak ones in the eyes of the world and the spies in the eyes of the world and I will be that for you and you will fight manfully for me. And womanfully. <laughs> These sections are about watching very ordinary people with extraordinary spiritual pedigrees find out who they are and get their callings and begin to move forward. And you're watching them come forward in a way that is just fun to see. And we get to watch it through these sections to see what the Lord can do with the weak things of the world. And now we have 14 million people in the church. They've done good. And we're built on their shoulders. And I'm not going to go. And I leave that with you, Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that we could be here this day and as we prepare ourselves to be worthy of God and thy grace upon us and as we study the scriptures that we can incorporate them into our lives so that we can be better prepared to meet the uh, stumbling blocks that will be placed in our way as we move through life. We're grateful for the, our friendships and for the great glory of this church. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.
and that's that was the weather to pump. So we'll take that energy. Isn't that great? <laughs> I, I may steal that from you. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it. Hey. Well, I've seen pictures of you. So you got today off, did you? Oh, I mean, I, really? You guys have got spring break like later. 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 Next year. This year it's a little bit later. So he's going to drag you off to the Institute. I tell him how many things he wants. He wants to know how I Hey, why don't you take the spirit? I'm going to be a Nauvoo, I think, next week. Oh, are you really? Yeah. I'm jealous. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about trying to get them to know. This is how much. I call them people that way. I'll tell you, I'm really good friends of mine. So now when I go up there, he promised me this trip. I don't know what I'm going to see. Well, in some of the history, it's a well, 